Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We'll rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched La Belle Noiseuse, The Beautiful Troublemaker. on 1991 Movie Rewind. In La Belle Noiseuse, young painter Nicholas and his girlfriend Marianne, played by Emmanuel Biard, go to visit the famous artist Edouard Fraunhofer, played by Michel Piccoli, in his secluded countryside manor. While there, Nicholas convinces Fraunhofer to come out of retirement and use Marianne as inspiration for his final masterpiece. He abandoned the painting 10 years ago due to the emotional damage it was causing, and there's no telling if Marianne or Frenhofer will be strong enough to see this project to the end. Screenplay by Pascal Bonitzer, Christine Laurent, and Jacques Rivette, directed by Jacques Rivette, and premiered at the Cannes Film Festival on May 14, 1991. So I know that neither one of us have seen this movie before, uh, but no. this, uh, this is your birthday week movie selection for the podcast the first first time we're doing birthday picks mm-hmm. um so why did you decide to choose la belle noiseuse just to make me struggle with french pronunciations <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> um well okay so on our instagram we follow a lot of nostalgia Okay, I'm in charge of the Insta- our Instagram, <laughs> yes, so Instagram I'm always and yeah, Instagram and Twitter. So you're talking to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> when whenever I do post stuff for 1991, I look under the hashtag of 1991 or just like nostalgia type movies, and this there was like a still for this movie that popped up, and I was like, what's this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and. I looked it up and I was like, is this on our list? And it was. And then I looked up. I didn't want to find out what it was about because I want to be surprised because I've never seen it before. And then I just saw all these like great reviews, like a lot of movie reviewers and even other directors saying like this is one of their favorite movies like ever. It's mm. always, like in their top movies of all time and then when I even on Rotten Tomatoes it has a 100% so I was like okay I want to see this movie sure and now we have yeah <laughs> yeah I, I knew nothing about this movie me, I, me neither all. that's I never what heard I was of like it, which is odd yeah it's it's a it's an interesting pick and I'll also say that um, just fair warning to anyone who's thinking about watching this that it is a four-hour movie um, yeah, and I that's... think that's important to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and when I saw that it was four hours, I was like, "Do I wanna do? Do we wanna do this?" <laughs> right. Well, especially me because you know, my attention span is not great, and I was like, "Can I?" Because sometimes I can't even do like a two-hour movie, so I was like, "Am I gonna hate this?" <laughs> but 
we'll we'll see. <laughs> right. Yeah. As we talk about it. Yeah, and we um we were able to break it up in two parts because there is an intermission, and so we just use that. And I actually watched it over two days, uh, so that is an option for people out there. Um, and also, honestly, there is a 1992 recut of this movie with a different name, uh, Divertimento? Divertimento. Divertimento. Yeah. Um, which is virtually the same movie, but recut in a different way, adds some additional, um, I don't think additional scenes, but just reshot scenes or a different perspective. The, the story is told more from Marianne's perspective in that recut version. Uh, rather than Frenhofer's point of view, um, or you know the combined one, depending on your perspective in this, so it is it is significantly different and also significantly shorter. I'll say that even though it is four hours, I didn't feel the length all that much. Me neither, because I was like, "What's gonna happen next?" Even though it's like a lot of the same. Yeah, it's But I was still like what's going to happen next? <laughs> it's it's incredible how much tension can be put on a screen with like two quote people. unquote so little happening. Yeah. Two people. Yes. And an artist and a model. And it's all mental tension. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's 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 hard to describe. Um, but yeah, I think this is one of the things that, you know, you're seeing in some of those best of lists. I saw, I was looking in my books cause I have a couple, you know, film books to see if anything was mentioned in there and I don't have anything, but I saw that Roger Ebert had, you know, called it like one of the best movies about creating a work of art mm-hmm. that has ever been created. Um, and you know, the, the emotionality that goes into it and all this kind of stuff. Because a lot of this movie are long shots of sketches being done in real time for minutes on end, and then you go to the next pose, and then you get another sequence of multi-minute long sequence of another sketch being drawn in real time. That doesn't sound like it should be fascinating. But no, you want to see that. Yeah. Well, I, oh, I guess we both did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and what and one of the things that I think helps it is that, uh, well, twofold. One is that you're actually seeing the creative process happen, somewhat in real time, um, in not just because you're seeing the the drawing happen as as it's being drawn, and, and you know you see him switching between the different types of brushes and ink pens and whatever we also see the progression between sketchbook to small canvases to large canvases and everything was shot chronologically when they made the movie so you know there's no continuity errors in that way you can see a lot of those old sketches old things in the background um in later scenes because everything was done beforehand i think what also helps it out is that the art was done by a legitimate French artist, mm-hmm. established artist. And so uh, Michelle Piccoli is acting the part, but a lot of it is done through close-ups where you have the hand of the painter, as it's credited in the in the picture, is uh, Bernard Dufour, an actual French painter, painter who passed away in 2016. 
I don't know how well known he is, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't know him. But he's. But he's known for like his abstract (laughs) painting, which you see. Yeah, he yeah he he did like abstract and figurative painting, and I guess he went into more erotic side of, um, erotic side of art in like around the nineteen sixties phase, so. It's, it's fascinating to see a legitimate artist and their process as they go through and sketch these things. It was really strange to see the progression and when he chose to put different lines on the page, when he decided to shade certain things. Because it's not just a simple, what I would do as a complete novice, right? Like right. just draw a circle for the face and then right. you know, outline the body and the shoulders and get the figure of the thing first that doesn't happen here. It's like, okay, here's a couple strokes on the left-hand side of the head, and now and I'm going to switch down. into the arm on the right-hand side. Yeah, like and he... It... Yeah, he's not focusing on one specific area for too long. No, and but not even certain style either. You can yeah, see you know. how he's making that... Like, he's trying to do that line in the center so he can make things sort of... Per, like, in the perspective and like symmetrical i guess but Mm. not really because he's abstract he'll like do one arm like super long or something or and then he does like half an eyeball or something and then he just and then like shades a certain part and then he's done and then he's like okay next position right yeah and it's tough to know why he's done and and when but it's, it's just fascinating to see the process of how this is working because as you're seeing it being done, you're thinking, well, this is never going to turn out to be anything, right? It, you know, like, okay, well, he just, he drew a couple very thin lines and now he took this other brush and just smudged a bunch of black. Right. Like, and you even think, okay, he'll, well, like, he just... stick his hand in and, like, kind of put his whole hand across the whole thing as if he's, like, sort of erasing it. Right. But not really. But no, it's just like a way of shading. Because he, yeah. he, he's so proficient in all these different techniques of getting different shades and styles and widths and mixing the light and the wide and, and the light and the dark that, you know, are beyond our comprehension because we're not professionals. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's fascinating to see how that all comes to be. Um, yeah, you're watching yeah, an artist working. Yes. In real time. In real time. It's like from scratch, from the beginning to the end, sort of. Yeah, there's very few jump cuts when the art is actually being made. It does happen in some of the later scenes. And sometimes, you know, like on the larger canvases, the camera will pan up and down as the drawing happens and sort of a jerky movement, which is, you know... probably the, the the least solid point of the filmmaking itself uh so it makes some the jump cuts a little bit more noticeable but in general it's one static stagnant shot of this guy in his hand as he draws um marianne mm-hmm. and my understanding is that basically what happened in the filmmaking is that uh emmanuel had to pose for the actual filming of the scene and then later after the filming had wrapped up for the day she had to pose at least briefly for uh bernard dufour 
separately to like, to so like finish could, these paintings so that he could actually do the work yeah at night yeah yeah because i mean when we're seeing these random cutscenes of the like sketches and the painting day to day some of them will be like 10 minutes long and then it's, it's like some are like 30 seconds 10 minutes whatever and then it just depends on the artist because he'll do like a quick sketch turn the page and then he tells her to pose in a different way spends 10 minutes doing another thing but then whenever she comes in each day you see the sketches or the paintings all around this guy's studio yeah and there's probably a lot more that like did his not make progression the cut because <laughs> yeah. of, um what we see in some of the sketchbook shots when you know like when uh, Fred Hoffer is on the couch looking through his sketchbooks at the end of the night. Yeah. Flip, thumbing through pages and, and some of it is like stuff looking, that we had seen. Some are not. Some not. So, I mean, he's just going through his art sort of second-guessing himself. Yeah. And the idea behind the whole piece is to create his... Last masterpiece. His, yeah, his much. masterpiece. Like this thing that's been in his head forever. This concept of the beautiful troublemaker, which is... Probably not a perfect translation of Noah Zeus. I think in even within the the movie, they say it means a couple different things than troublemaker. I, so I saw it was like nut. Yeah, like like a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's different interpretations. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I like troublemaker out of all these other definitions. Yeah, and I think it it, it fits Marianne's character. Yeah, because. She is, like, the troublemaker. In a sense, I guess, yeah. Um, she's she's independent, is what she is. Yeah. So... <laughs> I mean, she thinks her... Yeah, she just... She's very... Uh, she says what she thinks, and she's very uh, blunt and forthright with everything. And, I mean, that's... That's I exactly guess, what he needs. Yeah, and people are, like, put off by that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that's exactly right, but also drawn to her yeah. because of that, um, as well as her physical appearance, right? So, and, and that's what Frenhofer needs in this, because he was trying to do this with his wife, Liz, played by Jane Birkin, and... He stopped at some point um, because the painting was getting too real, I think is what it was. I it think was, it, there was a yeah. chance that it was going to ruin their love if yeah. he continued doing this. Because the whole concept of the art, at least in his mind, is that there has to be quote-unquote blood put into it. Where mm -hmm. there's a lot of sacrifice, there's a lot of heartache, and you know a lot of back and forth, you need to be pushing the boundaries of each other the painter mm -hmm. and the model both have to be pushing back against each other and you know bring out these emotions in one another and if you were to continue to do that with liz who was his partner at the time i don't know if they were married when he quit the painting but um they were dating at least that might have ruined the relationship that he wanted to hold on to and so he abandoned that yeah and there's always been this and he just... twinge of regret of not being able to complete that while at the same time 
being satisfied that she, you know, that Liz was still there. Yeah, so I think he just dichotomy. kind of gave up his first love of painting for his second love, his wife. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a perfect way to put that. And, like, I don't, I guess we haven't even, like, in the beginning, I don't know if we should just start how it begins. Well, yeah, I, I think, yeah, that that's a good way to lead into the beginnings, because he talks about that when Nicholas, when all Marianne, yeah. and this other guy, Porbis, who is an art dealer, uh, and, like, the manager of both of them, both Nick and uh, Brenhofer, they all go to visit, and, and you know, they he gets... He takes them all up to the studio and, and explains, you know, here's some of my work. And then he talks about how he never finished this ideal concept of the beautiful troublemaker painting. Yes. Um, so he gets into a little bit of the history of that. It's it's a weird sequence because um, I don't really know the impetus for them going to him. Is it just to say hi and meet someone he admires yeah because th- yeah nicholas is like a would-be art like is he a wannabe or he's like early on in his art he's yeah he's young professional yeah he definitely deals with we don't galleries. see anything from him no we don't see anything that he produces at all all we know is that it's but I, somewhere I th- near the end of act or you know part one um He's talking to his sister over the phone about how she needs to go over to the gallery and sort yeah, something out. Yeah, so so he's, he's definitely is professional enough to you know. Be I a thought he was more artist. into photography I don't because know. in the very very beginning he you, says he doesn't have his models like pose constantly. He just takes a reference photo and then paints off of that. Okay, I think that's all right. What he said. So he's taking a photo and yeah. then okay, all right. Because, I mean, in the very beginning, you have Marianne taking, like, a very candid photo of him. Mm-hmm. And then he catches her, and then he's like, oh, it's like, he's, like, sort of criticizing it. Oh, it's out of focus, or blah, blah, whatever. But they're just, like, yeah, that was like playful joshing each other, so, yeah. That was, like, role-play flirting. Yeah. Which is, you know, how we're introduced to them. You know, there's this woman who's sneaking around on the balcony in this Yeah, we don't know that they're we together. We don't know they're together, and... We don't know that he's maybe famous and, you know, he treats it like it's a paparazzi type of a photo that right. she's going to sell to the press. And then, yeah. They... Yeah, and they, he he's like, can I see what you took? And she's kind of like waving in his face, in his face and mm-hmm. like taking it away from him. And there's, I, I think, I mean, it was funny and cute because then there's this other, t- they're at this hotel, I, I guess, because it. Something kinda, like that, yeah. It's like a bed and breakfast type thing maybe probably because Tough then there yeah it's well it's they a, call it an inn but yeah yeah but on the next table over it's like two other women watching them do this flirty thing and then when they leave they they do say something in english and i forgot right. they're like english tourists yeah i don't think i wrote it down i forgot they and they were like oh well that's that type thing it's like that's just how it is here type yeah, thing. yeah. Like, that's just how love is here or whatever yeah because it, it they make it seem like they're two complete strangers and then they have this brief back and forth and then they just run off to the room together yeah as if they're gonna go sleep together at like strangers or yeah whatever. even though they they've been partners for 
three However, years, I think it is. Yeah, it like is. X amount. Three years? Okay. Yeah, I think it's three years. Could be two, but I think it's three. And, yeah, that's how the story begins. With, it, with some narration, too. A little right. bit of brief narration, which doesn't return until the very end. But I guess Porbus introduces... I, I'm assuming it's because Nicholas sort of... I don't want to say idolizes Frenhofer, but just is it like a fan, I guess. Yeah. And At least is an admirer. Yeah. And maybe hoping for like a mentorship in some way. Yeah, but that doesn't even happen. No. Because it turns into this whole trying to finish Frenhofer's masterpiece. Yeah, and... and um... Nicholas offers up Marianne without her even being in the room to consent to that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that becomes a thing. <laughs> and then Nicholas gets jealous of the time that Marianne is spending with Frenhofer. Even though sense, he... Even though this was all his offered, doing. Yeah, he offered Marianne without her consent. Yeah. And we see that whole them kind of fighting about that. Which is a legitimate fight, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, it's really interesting because I don't fully know why she agreed to do it. So they went to bed angry at each other because he agreed to offer her up. Yeah, and he told this, her, you know, and she's like... Nude model for this she's stranger. She's like, what the hell? Yeah. Right? Uh, without even asking. Um, and that he's expecting her in the morning. And then she wakes up before him and sneaks out of the the room that they're keeping together. And goes to Frenhofer. Which was honestly a shock to me. I thought that maybe there'd be some additional... I don't know hemming and hawing or, or you know like maybe she would go off like and be do her forced own thing over. first and um, then you know have some additional discussion but she yeah basically just goes there yeah, and, she just, and does yeah it. I mean I was a little surprised that she just like she got ready and went over and she's like okay I'm just gonna do this and I think it's because she snuck out of it right yeah and, and I'm assuming like, this to not give Nick the her, satisfaction yeah, for him saying you gotta go over there yeah She's like, I'm just gonna this is going do to this be on my, my own. choice, and yeah. you're not gonna know about it, and you're not gonna know where I am. Right, because he goes over to her place, and Liz is like, "Oh, are you here for Marianne?" Uh -huh. And he's like, "Oh, she's here." And that's when he realizes. Now he becomes jealous. Like, oh, she, she came on her own discourse, I guess. And then you see, I mean, not a lot throughout the movie, but he'll sometimes come come over to the house while Marianne is mod. We don't. I mean, I'm we're. I'm assuming she's modeling for the entire day. She's supposed to come over at ten a.m. Uh -huh. And then it's dark. I mean, I really don't. I mean, it kind of seems like there was a day where it seemed as if they were up till like. There was one time where it seemed like it was like 5 a.m. or something. They don't explain time very well. Yeah, but... 
And part of that is the location that they're in, right? They're in this um, converted barn yeah. that is now his studio, where if you close the door to the studio, you can't tell what time of day it is. So, you know, it, it's really hard to know until they decide to leave it's, and go outside Yeah, the mainly studio, up to him, always, too. Yeah, and it's all up to front offer. It, there, it, even later well, on in the uh, movie, when Liz is talking, out the, just jump in, like, almost fast forward to the end, sort of, maybe, I don't know. But um, Liz explains how when she was modeling for him, and this is right where he was at his breaking point, I guess, with this masterpiece, they spent an entire week in that his studio. Mm-hmm without leaving it and they would just wake up try this modeling painting of the his masterpiece and then taking breaks and then getting up and continuing for a full week yeah and i don't think it took nearly as long here right i think i mean he knows that marianne has to like go back but yeah, because they're basically on an open-ended vacation. Yeah. And at some point, Nicholas is like, I, I have to go back to the the, uh, the studio. The gallery, yeah. Gallery, come with me. And she's like, no, I'm going to stay and see this out. Until you can go it's if done. You want to. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's, he's, like, reluctantly staying. I mean, he could have gone. He's afraid of losing her if he goes. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, spoiler alert, he, he does. even when it's after it's done yeah um and that's probably part of the point of the painting in a way yeah so the painting uh like we said is, is meant to be something of a back and forth and at the beginning when they start having these conversations marianne and liz are talking about how they're losing the war to their partners basically meaning that it's between them and the art. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, Marianne is already, already kind of losing out to Nicholas because she's less of a priority to him yeah. than whatever he's doing with the paintings. And Liz is worried about losing the war with this resurgence of this masterpiece. Um, and that, you know, Liz said that she had a truce with her husband <laughs> until this moment. Uh, and honestly, I think Liz's character progression in this whole thing is one of the more fascinating parts of the movie. Mm-hmm. Just to see how she handles all of the ups and downs of this and how she balances her emotions of like regret and jealousy and, you know, fascination and admiration, you know, just runs the gamut of you know proud versus afraid and everything in between is just amazing and i think honestly pretty much all the acting is is great yeah in this whole thing um but i think liz is someone who could probably be kind of underrated because she's not the focus of the story even though in a way she is because she used to be yeah and 
I mean, yeah, you she, I mean, they're out in the middle, they're in the south of France, and it just seems as if she's stuck there because of him. Yeah, and true, and she's she, significantly younger. Yeah, and too. she used to be, in the beginning, she said that she was, she wanted to get into, like, architecture, and she kind of just stopped. But it wasn't... I don't think it was because of Frenhofer. She just kind of... Stu- she she kind of, like, puts her own self down. She's like, oh, I just wasn't very good. And yeah. you see her just in the house. Like, she... It seems as if she just never leaves this house. And she's doing, like, taxidermy. That's her thing. Yeah, in the beginning, now. she's talking about how, oh, you're right. I wish I could do something like that. You know, I wish I had a talent, basically. Yeah, but I mean, she's you know, doing taxidermy. Do yeah. Yeah. And she's like, doing taxidermy on these illegal breeds, and she's worried about the cops coming for her at one point. <laughs> right. <laughs> when Nicholas comes to visit her for a second, and yeah, so she's she's really without a purpose in a sense. Like she's just like this bored. She just seems content, but also bored i don't, yeah. I don't know how to, like she, well yeah i mean they're in isolated like com- she's countryside lo- yeah it's she's like big she's content with being with home. her husband because she really loves him you can tell that but then i feel like because she's he's so much older and he just wants to you know retire quote unquote in this like countryside she's and it they probably did it when she was she's probably like 40s 50s in this but like 10 years ago she probably wanted to live her life and do other stuff while Frenhofer is like no I just want to be out here yeah and be content with living here for forever and she just goes along with that because she loves him yeah exactly and it's tough to know exactly how far that goes because we don't see her interact with a whole lot of people yeah. There is um, the whole thing with Porbus, and, you know, they have some sort of a history together. I guess they used to date. I think because sort of she calls him. Yeah, the, there's one part where he comes by just to see. Well, I guess he comes by a couple of times just to see how the the painting is going. That's, like, all he cares about. He's like, I mean, that's what he says. He's yeah, like, that's all I care about is the progress of how long is it going to take and blah, blah, blah. Cause he he's, wants to buy it. Yeah. He's, he's already made the agreement with Frenhofer like before he started and said, Oh yeah, you could use Marianne as Marianne is the model. And Porbus is saying, okay. And then when you finish it, I will buy it right from you mm-hmm. like this, not even asking the question like this is what's going to happen. Yeah. And so he's waiting for the final masterpiece from the great Frenhofer. So, yeah, it's that, it's that aspect of it where he's coming in under the guise of saying, hey, Liz, how are you doing? But really, how the fuck is the man? Yeah, he doesn't really give a shit about how she really is doing. And then she real, she knows it. And then that's when she's like, you annoy me. I hate you. And kind of tells him to go. Uh But even at the beginning, you can see her getting or him hitting on her a lot when they're doing that yeah that was like thing. a little weird and i was well, i think it was just meant to allude that they had a history and most likely there's like a part 
in the beginning where he like falls over at dinner seizure practically and i i was like what the hell is happening yeah i don't know how that really factors into the plot because i I was like why did this happen i don't know And, and so like even nicholas is something of a minor character after the first scene and porbus is only in a couple scenes he's in like the beginning comes in briefly you know near the the start of act two um and then he's there at the very end at the very end when everyone is is reunited so i i yeah i wasn't sure why that was there it wasn't really an excuse to get them to the studio in the old barn that was going to happen anyway yeah i just don't know why that happened where he sort of just passed out and everyone was coming to him. And then they sort of just finished eating their dinner right at that point. They were like, oh, we got to attend to him. And But then he gets up well, and he's all, like, oh, They're all I'm cutting fine. that tart. Everyone had gotten the piece of the tart yeah, and he fell over. Yeah, they were about and, to eat this and then, good-looking tart. And then that, everyone left before eating the tart. Yeah, that Liz <laughs> spent all day making, probably. <laughs> this, well, they made a big deal about the tart yeah. in the beginning of the movie. And we're making a big deal because we always focus on the food. Yeah, we're like, <laughs> no one eat the tart. Yeah. And then we're like it's looking like, at the juice and the tart, and like this looks good. Let's go. Yeah, all their food. Yeah, <laughs> we were like, let's go to France and have a petit déjeuner. Yeah. And yeah, but whatever. That scene was just. I was like, what at that scene? Because he uh-huh. just he passes out. They're all like, oh, I guess we're done. We have to tend to him. But then he gets back up and he's like, I'm fine. Right. And then they go up to the studio and start talking about this painting. As if I was like, what? Why was that even included? I really don't know. I yeah. just didn't understand that part at all. No, it didn't. It didn't. It didn't need to be there, and it didn't really lead to anything. And I don't know if that's because the script was somewhat created as they went along, or if that was the case. I mean, I got the impression that because they shot it in sequence mm-hmm. chronologically that some of the the scripting also happened as they went along and so maybe they intended for that to be something and then the movie Just evolved nothing happened after that. yeah the movie evolved into something else and and they decided to scrap that whole subplot maybe i don't know yeah I, yeah, we can just like I just thought that was the weirdest part of, yeah. of anything and I think once we get to the part where Marianne shows up and she starts modeling for Frenhofer it's a little um, like I was a little scared yeah because I was like what is he gonna do <laughs> I'm scared yeah I mean because the natural. way he he's kind of like well they they don't like each other. Yeah, they didn't hit it off at dinner. I mean, part of it is that Frenhofer was basically telling her you're gonna lose Nicholas to his art. Yeah, and she's like, I don't like she. She's like, I don't want to hear that. Right. Like, how and do you feel? I that don't like this Nick guy. May choose painting over you. Yeah, and <laughs> she, afterwards, she she's telling Nicholas Nicholas that. I don't like him, and she's kind of like making fun of Frenhofer, Frenhofer, like, oh, you need to use the blood and whatever, 
to make it work. Yeah, mocking him. Yeah. So, Which is a very pretentious thing to say. Let's yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> she's she's like this pre- pretentious fuck. I was kind of thinking the same things. Like, oh, <laughs> it's not real art if you don't pour your blood into it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> like, does that yeah. mean he's actually gonna like prick his finger like, at some point and like put, do it? Like, like he signs it with blood or some shit. Um. Yeah. So they, she doesn't. They don't like each. He's kind of annoyed by her too. So it's like this tension already, and then he's like, in the beginning, he's just like, okay, I just like I haven't painted or drawn in so long so he's like i have to start from like art school he said he was like back when Mm. i was in school so he's like i'm gonna start with the basics and that's where he's like she's clothed first he's just trying to get like her like i don't know he's trying to just like it's like riding a bike i guess yeah he's trying to just like get her figure i guess and start drawing and that's when he's starting with the sketchbook part yeah he's using a sketchbook and he's drawing her just standing and he's doing like her whole body and then he's like come closer to me and he's just doing her face and he's like okay turn around but then after that she knows she's gonna have to like tear her clothes off because you know this is like a nude photo and then i mean she's naked for Most. 80% of this movie. Most, yeah. And then that's when we get to the everyday scenes of him putting her in the most, like, uncomfortable positions. And he's, like, pulling her. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm scared. (laughs) Because he's like, no, you got to do it this way. And he's always, like, coming by and, like, pulling her up. He wants her to always be, like, standing straight or, like, doing something... Where he's like, you're moving, and it's, like, he just treats her, you know, he, like, he just doesn't treat her like a person. Right, yeah, exactly. That's... He just sees her, you know, he just, like, I mean, th- we see that for this whole movie. Almost. Like, I'd say, like, maybe, um... Where... After part two starts is when things start to shift a bit more. Yeah, because then they start talking, and it's like they start to build a relationship. It's like... But not like... Liz and Nicholas think they're gonna, like, hook up and, you know, sleep together. And that's what I was, like, scared of this entire movie. But they... Yeah, that's sort of, they, like, the natural thing that you think of with the artist and model relationship. Right, because that's like, what happened oh. with Liz and... I mean, him and Liz. I mean... And I don't know if Liz honestly thought that that was going to happen. But, I mean... Nicholas obviously is concerned about that. Oh, yeah. he's concerned about everything. Um, but I, I think Liz knew enough to not be jealous of that. I think she was more jealous that she took her place in the painting. Yeah, as being kind of the muse yeah. for this new... Well, his last masterpiece. Yeah. And we also see that because he eventually takes the one that he was painting of Liz 10 years ago and he paints over her face yeah. with Marianne's body on it. And then, you know, Marianne or Liz sees that and that's where she gets pissed off yeah that's when we have a major confrontation with liz 
But to sort of go back before we get into the near the ending side of things, um, yeah, Frenhofer is treating her not like a person at all. She is no. a puppet to him. And he living... even explains that. He's like, yes. I've had so many models. And then he talks about every single model he's had, including Liz. Just like, you know, they do whatever I say and blah, blah, blah. And he's I don't like, want that. Yeah. And she's like, what the fuck? You can't tell me what to do type. She's just very much like that. But yeah. she's still doing it. It takes her a while to test the boundaries the way that Frenhofer is actually looking for. Yeah. But yeah, for the most part, what he's trying to do is he's putting her in all these positions that are extremely uncomfortable and unnatural, which will help him, you know, see different shapes and forms and whatnot. Right. But also just to continually make her so uncomfortable that she starts to fight back. Mm-hmm. But not fight back to the point where she quits. That's sort of like the hope. Is that, you know, there is a point where she walks out. Yeah. But it's temporary. But there are, yeah, there are points where, like, she's holding a position for so long that she, like, starts grabbing for, like, a cigarette. Because she, I mean, imagine stand, like, I don't know, it's boring. I I would be poured out of my mind. Yeah, even but, in a comfortable position, staying in one spot, in one position for the same. Right, segment. and she's in these uncomfortable positions for however, I mean, we don't know, for like eight hours. I don't even know, or, yeah, more, or more or less. And there's like points where she's like, Ugh, I want a cigarette, and she's just like reaching for it. And he's like, no, don't move. And, um... But that back but then, and forth is part of the process. Yeah. That's, that's what he wants is, you know, okay, yeah, rebel against me. You know, you're you're the troublemaker, so mm-hmm. to speak, right? So, like, yeah, fight back. Tell me why this isn't appropriate. And, you know, gets her to open up in such a way through the rebellion. Yeah, to, till one day she was like, okay, I'm going to pick where, where I'm going to pose and yeah. do and yeah. that's when he starts to get a little bit more inspired. Because I think he... I mean, there's even a point where he kind of wants to give up. He's like, I just... I can't see it. I can't find it in my art yeah, to it, finish this painting. Yeah, part of... Another part of why he's putting her into so many different poses is that he's trying to find the exact right thing to use as the basis for the painting. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not happening because she's not fully there. And by the time the intermission happens, I'm not really sure why she's enduring it. You know, he clearly wants to break her. Why does she want to be broken? And, I mean, even Nicholas is like, why are you still doing this? And I think it's just to have her own self-worth. Something that Liz is lacking. Yeah, she, she starts to build, I guess, I mean, she's not, she's like building more confidence, even though she's a very confident woman already but i guess more independence yeah she's more independent and maybe not so much confident she's she's like a young adult book author basically she's published one yeah, book, one book that is meant for what like 12 year olds or something is what she said mm-hmm. or, you know middle school type grade uh children but she's not proud of that fact right so you know she doesn't feel like she has a sense of purpose or worth either necessarily at least from what we, what little we know of her world outside of this movie. So mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it is to give herself enough of an identity 
Yeah. She's like, I, I have a purpose. Yeah. And, and just prove, yes, I can do this. I'm not going to give up. I can actually, you know, commit to something and see it through. Because maybe that was part of her problem in the past, too. I don't know. They didn't really Like, she always just much. gave up on whatever projects yeah, she or, may or may. Or people, even. Yeah. yeah. Even though she's going to give up on Nicholas. Itself. Yeah. And so, yeah, we're at that point where she's really starting to break. And then we cut and see Nicholas calling her, calling his sister saying take care of something in the gallery out of town and then that's when the intermission hits uh, and then we come back and Marianne is much more forceful and yeah she's Liz is worried that Marianne's being taken advantage of but Marianne is up there taking over everything from Brenhofer and like moving all the stuff around yeah and like moving the props and you know placing things where she wants to go and she's like no i'm gonna this is my we're gonna time. do what i want to do <laughs> we're, yeah we're doing this find your angle and let's get going yeah uh and then she starts telling her story a little bit more right and as she's telling her story he's like enlightened and he starts like kind of like studying her like she's an animal or something like you see him looking at her and like finding a light or something and then he grabs like a sketchbook and starts like vigorously just like sketching her and then um wanting to paint her as she's like telling her story but then she like looks up at him because she's just deep in thought and talking and he's like deep in his thoughts painting Mm -hmm. But he, then he was like, no, you moved. Yeah, don't whatever. move. The moon was ruined. Yeah. There, there's a... I think what's important to note as well is that in the first half, there is not much dialogue between Marianne oh, and yeah. Fred Oh, yeah. There's a lot like, of quiet parts, but it's like tension. Yeah. And, and there's also not much music. Like at the opening credits and the closing credits there's music there's a couple times when he's going through different like sketchbooks in between the different sketches there's like a little zing of music mm-hmm. but i'm sure probably you can hear the storm happening behind us now as we're recording <laughs> that's just starting up a lot of it is just sounds of the world like what you're hearing in the podcast now maybe you know like uh, like the wind and the bugs and dogs barking and you know the really loud scratches of the ink pens and the brushes it's all sound effects Mm -hmm. and so make sure you're awake enough when you're watching this movie because it could easily be white noise enough to keep you yeah i mean (laughs) i was getting a little i mean it wasn't boring me but i was getting tired watching it yeah i was like this is very calming as yeah i mean i could watch this to go to sleep it's like a meditative yeah, it's trance-like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having just nothing but background noise and, and, you know, the sound of something hitting canvas and not much dialogue back and forth. There's a couple key sequences where he talks about other artists or, you know, a couple little sentences here and there, but for the most part, it is silence while they work. Mm-hmm. That starts to change a little bit more in part two where she's telling his story and they're, they're connecting a little bit more on that level. Yeah. 
but it never does get to that that area that we thought might happen in the beginning of you know them falling for each other or something or him taking advantage of her right and you know she is there just to it be was a like prop this, and a body yeah this and respected person. relationship it it turns into something like that sort of because I mean Liz even at near the end she warns Marianne just like you know he's um not gonna take you seriously after this is done mm-hmm. and it's like don't get too close with him like warning it's like yeah. I don't know it's like once it's this masterpiece is done it's like your relationship as I don't want to say mute but like model and painter that's it that's done it's like you you don't even know each other anymore yeah and also don't look at the painting because you're going to be afraid with what you see yeah like what you see is going to scare you so don't look yes um so a lot of different warnings in there which are not necessarily heated um but yeah at some point poor not not porpoise um frenhofer is really at something of his own breaking point where he he thinks he's on the cusp but he just cannot find the right thing and so he works all nights he's working without marianne there and like you know looking over different things and he drinks himself into like a stupor and at some point when marianne's back he's drunk and he falls over and <laughs> yeah. he sees the pose that that he wants that he to wants paint. right then yeah but because he falls over marianne reacts and gets up and and you know like lunges towards him she's or like whatever. oh yeah are you all right and, and he's, he's like, like no oh, no that's no that's perfect and he's like trying to recreate the spot i mean and, that scene was I was like, did they... Because it seemed as if they were both having an actual good time. Yeah. Like, as, yeah, they're act- laughing like as, as they're actors. Trying, as not... he's trying to, like, find the exact right area where he was. Because he's like, where was I? Where Where was I? Where yeah, was, was I was sitting? Like this? And he's, like, jumping up on the stools. He's like, where was I ways. sitting? And she's just cracking up to the point where she can't even, like, breathe. Yeah. <laughs> and then she kind of falls over, but she hits her head, and then she's cracking up even more because yeah. she hit her head. Head, and then they're both just laughing and then they're like laughing and drinking together mm-hmm. but then he's like okay let's get back to business <laughs> yeah. and, and it's around that time that like the turning point really happens and, and um, he finds what he's looking for and he starts painting over um, his his old painting of, of Liz and Boy, was that such a emotional scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Surprisingly, like you see, like it's it's a big canvas, and you see this head without a body of Liz, mm-hmm. and then you see the body of Marianne without a head. They're in completely different poses, Positions. so they're not going to line up with each other whatsoever. Yeah. So it's not like he can combine them, and he's not ever intending to. And you see him in this very long shot with a painting um, staring at the face of, of quote-unquote Liz as it's finally getting covered up, sort of, with mm-hmm. blue. Yeah. And it makes it such a, like a ghostly image because he's putting this blue paint over everything. But it can't mask anything because it's not strong enough. But it's just there to show that this is going to be background at some point. 
so it basically creates like this ghost mm. of her and then she he doesn't come back uh inside in the morning or whatever uh, he's he's there working all night on this whole thing marianne's gone and liz comes in to check on him and happens to see that yeah um that he took their painting and is starting to erase it and they have a big long conversation where Liz surprisingly keeps it together mm-hmm. <laughs> considering the uh, I mean obviously she, she says her piece but never raises her voice about it which I don't I don't know how that's possible but it is and he's almost stoic about it you know, like, not not that she, not that he can't believe that she thinks it's a big deal. But he knows it's not. A, he knows it's not what she thinks it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is really just waiting for he his turn just, to say it. He's just kind of like, "What? I'm an artist, and this is what artists do." Yeah, basically, what he's trying to say. He's like, what's the big deal? Ultimately, what he's saying is that, in order for me to move forward, I have to erase this part of the past. Uh huh. Like, this is still existing somewhere in the world, and the fact that it still existed somewhere in the world is preventing me from being able to actually finish this masterpiece. I can't have this remnant. I have to be able to cover it up in order to create what's going on. Yeah. Um, Which, you know, is... May or may not... I don't know. Like Artists say a whole lot of things that may or may not be true, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's what he believed... They reconcile enough, right? Like, they, she accepts it to a degree. Um, but then, basically, the next scene, the painting is finished. Yeah, we never see the painting. No. The f- finished, final masterpiece. Marianne sees it. Marianne sees it, and then... Liz sees it. And then we never talked about this character at all the daughter of their maid yes she Magali. yeah i this is her only movie i was okay i'm i was confused but well first i thought she was their daughter but then you know there's a point where friend hopper is like go give this to your mom and the mom was their maid cook uh-huh. francois and do they live there? <laughs> Possibly. But it's, it's a big place. We don't get to see the whole cause, thing. I mean, because, yeah, yeah and, the, and the daughter, she's, you know, she's a teenager because she's always, I mean, she's, like, dancing around a lot and doing whatever. And But she's, there's a point where she's kind of talking about, like, a boyfriend of hers, I guess, because she's talking mm-hmm. about these letters that she got from, like, him an admirer or something yeah so she's like yeah, some teenagers. sort of young love yeah but the, yeah she sees that painting and then he, she and Frenhofer so Frenhofer knows that Porbus is gonna come and take this painting mm-hmm. and you know Marianne sees it she makes a face she's like angry about it which yeah. Liz's, Liz, yeah, Liz, Liz's warning was true. She did Liz's not like what warning she saw. was true. So whatever Marianne saw, it like either pissed her off or like scared her or something. Because she makes a face and it's just she's like, 
mad slash like scared looking. She's like horrified that whatever it is. Yeah, she she saw it as um, she, she interpreted herself she, as being sad and dry. Okay, because it like she's disappointed. Like after all the these days, I don't even know like months, days. Like I don't know how really long. have no idea at all. But she's like after modeling for however many months or days. Like this is what was the product of whatever her her hard work it was. And then, um, you know, Liz sees it, and she reacts to it by, like, um, next to his uh, signature, she just puts, like, a cross. Mm-hmm. Which I don't really know is like, what that would in... She sort of, in, like, after that, because he knows that she saw it, because he, he, he comes by and looks at... That's where he brings in the daughter... And he's gonna he's telling her to help him like cover the painting up. Mm-hmm. And as he's covering the painting up, he sees that cross and he's like Yeah, I just he, don't know he's why like, a I know. cross. But I mean. she she kind of allude like afterwards when they have this party for this painting, she says something, it's like you died along with it. Mm. She said something like that. Okay. And so he saw that cross and he's like, um, like she saw it, like he knows. Yeah. And, um, like the, the daughter, she's like, oh, is this the young woman? And he's like, yep. And he's like, can you help me with a secret? And they spend all night, <laughs> like putting, he puts it up against a wall on his studio and they built like a whole like brick wall. Yeah, they hide it behind bricks. Yeah, they hide it behind bricks, but it's, like, within the wall. Because yeah. it's not, like, jutting out or anything. Yeah, there was, like, um, there's an indentation in the wall, basically. For whatever, who knows why originally, but, yeah, it was pre-existing. Probably not the only one in, along that wall. Yeah, okay. And he, he puts, yeah, the painting, he, he spends that entire night with that daughter, um just putting up the brick and mortar and then sealing up that wall with this painting so we never see this painting no. there is a point where when they're putting yeah. the painting in the wall like a she little lifts up a little she lifts it up a little bit and all you see is like a bunch of red and i thought i saw like some feet but that was it yeah i think that's about it and so yeah maybe he did put his literal blood in there Who knows? yeah maybe i don't know red. um but instead, what he does is he quickly makes a surrogate painting, I guess. Yeah, and it, it was to the, be revealed to everyone when as know. the masterpiece. Like this is yeah. the masterpiece that you wanted. Because, but no I one mean, aside from him knows that it's going to be the a, the real a, masterpiece. <laughs> yeah, um, that it's going to be a fake, right? And so, like Nicholas is there. Nicholas's sister is there, which is like a whole side plot, which is kind of. Eh. worth ignoring honestly um and then yeah like liz and and porbis everyone's there and reveals the painting Um, yeah and liz and marianne are shocked because it's not yeah they're shocked and relieved because it's not the painting that they saw yeah before and porbis doesn't care because it's something you can get money for right and he was Um, like oh this is great 
and Nicholas is um, saddened because he thinks his idol is a hack now. Yeah. Um, but basically only like three or four people really know the truth about that painting that we the get to see. The actual painting, yeah. Um, but there's like a little bit of a, uh, you know, epilogue in a sense. So they have like a party in the, in the yard of, mm-hmm. of their manor where they have a bunch of short little conversations after the reveal where they wrap up different strings yeah. of plot and, you know, have little closing conversations between each of the different parties and whatnot. And then you see like Marianne and Frenhofer just kind of like nod yeah. and be like, they don't say anything. They just look at each other and nod like this is the end of this relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nick is like, okay, well, we can get going back home now. We could take a long way through Spain and, you know, go to these different places. And Marianne just says, nope. nope. And that's the end because, of the movie. Yeah. And then the credits roll. Because she had already, you know. She kind of made her mind up a long time ago. Like, I'm not going to be. I mean, there is even a point where she's like, I don't even want to go back to Nicholas. Can I just stay here? Yeah. Part of her self-discovery about this whole painting thing. Yeah. Um, Honestly, like, even though this is a four-hour-long movie, I feel like the ending came about quickly. Yeah, I was like, well, now I need to know what happens with her. (laughs) I was like, what is she going to do now? And even just, like... Or Frenhofer, like, what I thought more time would be spent creating the final masterpiece. It seemed like it just happened in a couple scenes, whereas I thought, okay, I found my pose, now let's spend a significant amount of time creating the actual masterpiece. The last two hours seemed... The first two hours is just a lot of where you get, like, that silence. It's it's the... um... Well, I guess the the, it's the, the up, middle hour. <laughs> it's the up of the roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> it's the slow climb to the top of the hill. And then once you get to that la- the second part of this, it's like all this stuff is happening, and then you're like, but you're like, that's it? <laughs> but yeah, and then the ending goes really quickly, even though I think that but everything that party gets scene kind of drags a little bit. Because there's so much space between the different conversations, it kinda, yeah, it's it's a weird mix of how it just doesn't quite doesn't quite flow at the end the way you might think, uh, and it honestly could use a little bit more time in a sense, which is weird. To say. I think you can just get rid of the whole thing with Nicholas and his sister, and you probably could. Like I didn't care or. Yeah, it just adds another extra dimension of like how conflict between Marianne and like and someone else, Julian, the sister, which like like apparently Julian lives with them. Yeah, or she, or did for a while, and she's having a hard time finding work, or you know, she's not self sufficient at all. And they just do not get along. Like Marianne and the weird relationship between Nicholas and Julian that kind of seemed like they were too like too close. Yeah. yeah, they're they were like too much in each other's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can go into cast and crew. Um, there isn't a lot of it. There's only a few central characters, as as we said. Um, so we'll talk about the director really quickly here, Jacques Rivette, uh, Palm d'Or nomination uh, for both The Nun back in 1966 and Who Knows in 2001. 
and Wuthering Heights, 1985. Um, he's one of the lesser known people in the French New Wave. Um, wave? I don't know. <laughs> Scene? <laughs> Scene, yeah. He's like Truffaut and Godard, everyone knows, but uh, a lot of people credit Rivette for being one of the forefathers of this whole thing. He does a lot of long movies, a lot of, you know, not flashy stuff like this basically is his forte uh, he's also done movies such as like the gang of four secret defense and paris belongs to us um pascal bonitzer uh caesar nomination for ma saison preferie encore and the innocents uh he's done two other 1991 movies one of them is on our list night and day and then the other one is not on our list l'amour maudit de Lesenbog. Uh that is not on our list but also stars Michelle Piccoli okay. he was, Piccoli was busy in 1991 uh, he also did Walking in Tightrope and The Children Thief in 1991 uh, Christine Laurent the other writer uh, also did The Gang of Four with Jacques Rivette uh, Joan the Maid and who knows all Rivette movies uh, Michelle Piccoli like I said who played Frenhofer uh, can Best Actor Award winner for A Leap in the Dark. He's a four-time Caesar nominee. Uh, Dangerous Thieves and May Fools among them. Uh, we'll get into the awards that this one was nominated for uh, in a second here. Um, he's been around a long time. Uh, you may know him from like Is Paris Burning, Belle Du Jour and Belle Toujours, Contempt, Rendezvous, Topaz, Atlantic City, Passion, uh, even more recent movies like Holy Motors. Uh, so he's been around in both French cinema and American. Uh, and he passed in 2020. So he's working steadily until he passed away, pretty much. Jane Birkin as Liz. Uh, Caesar nominations times three for her. Uh, the Pirate and La Femme de Ma Vie. Uh, a Cannes Golden Camera nomination for Boxes, which is a movie that she wrote and directed. Um, she also directed a segment for the 1991 movie Lest We Forget, which is a French movie that is in many, many parts uh, and is unfortunately not on our list. It's not uh, something we found a watchable version of. I think a lot of people know the Birkin bag mm -hmm. that is named for her or after her. She's also a singer who had a, a very popular controversial song in 1969 called Je t'aime moi non plus. 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 Uh, yeah, was... this was Serge Gainsbourg. Do you know who that is? I don't. I... Do you know, there's a song called Bonnie and Clyde. You would know his music. I mean, even if you heard that Je t'aime... Yeah, because that movie, that song has been in a bunch of movies. You would, yeah, you would know it. So that song uh, was very controversial and banned from radios for a while because of its sexual moaning and mm -hmm. nature. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of Serge Gainsbourg music is like that. Yeah. Uh, but as an actress, she's also been in such movies as Blow Up. Under the Evil Sun, Death on the Nile, A Soldier da Soldier's Daughter Never Cries, uh, Kung Fu Master, and also Dust. 
So she's been in a whole bunch of stuff. And we'll see her daughter, Charlotte Gainsbourg, in some other 1991 movies as we go along as well. Oh, wow. Uh, Emmanuel Biart as Marianne. Uh, seven Caesar nominations, but only one win for Manon of the Spring. Did I pronounce that right? Close to it? Sure. Manon, Manon of the Spring. Uh, that was back in 1986. Um, she's been in a bunch of American and French movies, such as uh, Nathalie, Eight Women, Don Juan, Mission Impossible, the first one. She was in that. Uh, and then also she's in a 1991 movie called I Don't Kiss as well. Uh, the sister Julianne, who we didn't really talk about in terms of the movie, uh, um, was played by Marianne Denecourt, uh, Caesar nominated for Best Supporting Actress in Hippocrat, Hippocrates. Um, she's also been in Hotel de France, uh, 1991 movie Pierre qui roule, uh, La Vie de Mort, which is not on our list. Uh, she's also been in movies such as Day and Night, The Lost Son, Me Without You, and Up Down Fragile, which she also wrote. Um, David Burstein, who played Nicholas, surprisingly did not do a whole lot. I, I was surprised. Nicholas? That, yeah. yeah. He, he had very few credits. He was in uh, movies like Demons of the South in 1979. I mean, he um, was okay. <laughs> he was okay, but I'm just surprised that, you know, with with the the large cast offer, you know, like the yeah, credit yeah. roles of some of the other people in this. Um, even Porbus has a larger, you know... Um, credit history, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and both both Porbus and Nicholas were in the 1986 production of Richard III in France. Um, really quickly, on in terms of awards, it was nominated for the Cannes Palme d'Or. It won the grand prize of the jury. It also won the prize of the ecumenical jury special mention, which I don't know what that really is, but it's one of the movies that got the special mention from the ecumenical jury. Uh, at the Caesar Awards, it did not win anything. Uh, it was nominated for Best Film, which went to All the Mornings of the World. Nominated for Best Actor for Mr. Piccoli, but that went to Jacques Dutronc for Van Gogh. Best Actress uh, went to Jean, Jean, Jean Moreau for Old Lady Who Walked Into the Sea. Okay. Uh, Jane Birkin was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but that went to Anne Brochette for All the Mornings in the World. Nominated for Best Director, that also went to Alain Corneau for All the Mornings of the World. So, got shut out, but several nominations. And it did have a very brief uh, American box office performance, and also a re-release in 2017, it appears, um, where it appeared somewhere for like a weekend so it had a very brief box office performance and is number 202 on our list of performers if anyone is interested on to true crime and pop culture we go yep so this movie i think this is the first and maybe only movie that was on a tuesday i don't think we've had a movie that was released on a tuesday historic events that happened on this day the first one is that Winnie Mandela she was sentenced to six years for complicity in kidnapping and beating of four youths one of whom died but she was freed on appeal 
Okay. And, I mean, I was looking into this. And, I, I mean, I knew nothing about this. No, I really... <laughs> I don't... something I probably should know, but don't. Right, like, I don't know much about Winnie Mandela besides her being married to Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's my fault for not... I don't know. I think I knew myself. they were both in jail, but other than that, I don't She know. has a lot... I mean, I was going in on a lot about her past and I was like I don't even know where to begin but for this specific case it was on December 29th 1988 this is the Saipei and Asbot killings um I don't know some of these people and I still I mean I I tried to look more into it but I was like this is a whole like other hour of talking about mm. things so I'm just going to do like a brief little like two sentences that I saw two or three sentences Yeah and then we could link Yeah stuff. So on December 29th 1988 Jerry Richardson who was the coach of the Mandela United Football Club abducted a 14-year-old James Saipei, he was also known as Stompy Saipei, and three other youths from the home of Methodist minister Paul Varon, where the coach Richardson claimed that Winnie Mandela had the youths taken to her home because she suspected that the minister was... Okay, I'm gonna... Trigger warning. Sure. There's gonna be... Like, sexual abuse, and then there's going to be, I mean, even just with abducting, and then there's a death. And then the next thing that I'm going to talk about is suicide. So, going back, (laughs) Richardson claimed that Winnie Mandela had the youths taken to her home because she suspected the minister was sexually abusing them. The four were beaten to get them to admit to having sex with the minister. And then negotiations with these youths, I mean, they're teenagers, I guess, lasted 10 days. And the kidnapped boys were released by Winnie Mandela, but Saipei was found later... He was found dead with stab wounds in the throat on January 6, 1989. And in 19- today, on this day, May 14, 1991, Winnie Mandela was sentenced to six years, but was freed on appeal. Okay, on to a famous death. We have Zhang King. I'm probably going to say that wrong, but she's known as Madame Mao. She was married to Mao, the communist of China. She uh, committed suicide on this day. But another summary is that basically when Mao died, he died in 76. She was arrested after his death and she was sentenced to she was sentenced to death but then in 1983 she was commuted to life imprisonment 
while in life imprisonment, she killed herself by hanging herself. Mm. On to TV. Um, so yeah, on Tuesday, we on ABC, we have Who's the Boss? Dinosaurs. Who's the what? Boss was still going in 91? Yeah, I guess. It, this was a repeat, so... Still, Maybe I thought it was, it was done in the 80s. I thought it was still going. I don't know. I guess so. I don't remember. Who's the Boss? And then Dinosaurs. Roseanne. And then we have a couple of new shows. This sh- this one show, <laughs> after Roseanne, is called Stat. Do you want to know what that's about? <laughs> Do you want to guess? <laughs> it must be a hospital, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So Stat is a comedy and it only lasted um a season and it seems as if only a few like six episodes were released um but it's about a doctor dr tony menzies oversees the chaos of a new york city emergency room while trying to mentor a new resident dr elizabeth newberry his fellow Cowboy Doniger finds time to be very popular with the ladies between saving lives. Like, you know, so did this walk so ER can ER. run? Because <laughs> you have, you know, the ladies' man, but not as. I mean, it only lasted yeah. half a season. It was this one show season. show <laughs> walked so that Scrubs could run, probably. No, I'm thinking so ER could run. <laughs> or maybe. I mean, it's a, comedy, it's a comedy. So, okay, yeah, then yeah, so Scrubs can run. Yeah. So the. Dr. Tony Menzies is played by Dennis Boutsikaris. He is in Better Call Saul. And he's also in Billions now, which okay. I know... Well, if have... I saw a picture, I'd probably recognize him. All right, so after Stat was 30-something, and then on CBS was an episode of Rescue 911... And after that was the movie Crocodile Dundee 2, which I I laughed. On NBC was, we're going to be watching these movies. This was a, they had, I don't, I guess this was like a collection, but I don't know if this. Was Tuesday the, the, the network movie of the weekday? It was the Perry Mason TV movies. Oh. So, I mean, yeah, there's, on, like four of them there's four list. of them. So I was like, is this like, I didn't look at, I know we have it on our list. It's uh-huh. the case of the glass coffin, but I don't know if this was like a one month thing where every Tuesday for this month of May, there was a Perry Mason movie or if it was yeah, spread out. Yeah, like one per quarter. We'd have to check the list. The list will have the release date on it. So yeah. We'll check that. But I, all of those are on DVD. Like, across all of the years that they did Perry Mason movies. With mm-hmm. Raymond Burr and everything. They're on DVD available. So, we'll get to those at some point. Yeah, and then after that was the show. We sort of talked about this, but I don't think... We talked about it because the actor in this show we've talked about this okay. show <laughs> All right. it's it's shannon's deal i know we've mentioned it but right. i think it was because of jamie sheridan he's the lead character in it oh because i remember us sort of speaking about 
this. Like, I vaguely remember, like, maybe just saying, oh, he was in Shannon's deal because it was in 1991. Boy, I don't remember a thing about it. Okay. (laughs) It's already so unforgettable. (laughs) I forgot what it is. So, Shannon's deal is a legal drama. Of course. That was on NBC from... It's everyone's deal. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, what's your deal? It's Shannon's deal. I probably even made that same joke last time. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. Uh, So it was on NBC from April 1990 until May 21st, 1991. So we had two more weeks of this. Out of cards. Mm -hmm. Can't deal anymore. (laughs) Sorry. Okay, so the show centers on a successful Philadelphia corporate lawyer named Jack Shannon, who was played by Jamie Sheridan. And Jamie Sheridan was the father in All I Want for Christmas, and then he was also, like, the manager guy. Yeah, the pseudo-bad guy in Talent for the Game. Yes. So... He lost his family and his job to a compulsive gambling habit. The saga of Shannon, who leaves a prestigious law firm after years of becoming unhappy with the legal system and begin forced and being forced to take his clients to court and subsequently opens his own low-rent practice. It was first a TV movie, so it was like a two-hour pilot that was aired in 1989. And then it became, like, this two-season series starting in 1990. But, I mean, this, I was looking it up, and this show was nominated for, like, an Emmy. Hmm. And then it won an award in the, for the 1991 Environmental Media Award for Best TV Drama. So I guess there was, like, an episode that talked about, like, environmental law, maybe? Sure. So, like something know. about oil spill or something, maybe. Right. Yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it had a mini-prestige, but no ratings, I guess. Yeah. So then moving on to the Billboard 100, I'm going to talk the, about the bottom... 100 for May it's 18th 1991 because the top five are just going to be like way too this is like the bottom five seem to have a little bit more fun and variety yeah the bottom five is more fun than the top five now for for me because I'm I'm always I'll listen to these songs I'm like what is this but then I'll (laughs) listen to that I'm like yeah okay I know it or one of these songs I don't think I've ever heard of before and I just listened to it before we started recording. So at number 100 is Get Here by Oletta Adams. Mm-mm, don't know it. Uh, I feel like this is a song that was probably for a lip sync for your life on Paul's Drag Race at some <laughs> okay. point. It's... An obvious song that you would hear in a grocery store because when I heard this, I was like, okay, I definitely heard this before while working (laughs) at a grocery store. Number 99 is this song called How to Dance by the Bingo Boys (laughs) featuring Princessa. And I was like, what? But when, (laughs) 
But when I heard the song, I was like, oh, this song. Oh. <laughs> and, um, like, the Bingo Boys, they're like this um, Austrian, like, kind of like pre-Daft Punk. Like, two just DJs. And they're playing the music in the background, and it's being rapped by this rapper. Her name is Princessa. But then I, when I looked her up, she was a background vocals for Vanilla Ice and then you mm. know in Cool as Ice he had that friend named Princess yeah but it wasn't th- her because the no. woman who was Princess was the sister in Coming to America yeah. so it wasn't the sister rapping in this video right so I was like huh maybe she was just named after her I wonder if she was like the vocal track for what like Naomi Campbell lip synced in the beginning of Cool as mm. Ice I don't know I, just, I saw that, and I thought that was interesting. Hmm. And then we have at number 98, the Star Spangled Banner. Oh, okay. So I think this is coming to an end. Which is having a Funko Pop doll made, by Which, the way. Which, I mean, of, of this, the is, my, this is my Houston birthday Star week. Banner I don't know. <laughs> performance. <laughs> yeah. So if I you want to know how cool. iconic that was, for anyone who wasn't around at that time, they're making a Funko, Funko Pop, Pop of, her. of that moment. Because she's just wearing, In 2022. Like, yeah, she's just wearing, like, a tracksuit, you know, while she sings this. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is coming to an end. This was 11 weeks. This is near the end of it. Yeah, they're near, maybe in another week it's probably off the charts. So it had a good 12 weeks. Yeah, we saw it first at 99, right? But I don't remember what... what year or you know what week oh it was in march like the beginning of march oh okay so it stuck around and got back up again yeah it went up yeah and then down so at number 97 i've never heard even when i listened to this song i was like i don't think i've ever heard this song in my entire life is a song called exclusivity by damien dame and it's just like a typical like new jack swing type of song okay and then at number 96, <laughs> we have the party. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> <laughs> was Is that the same song that was on last? No, the, the last week that was summertime. And I think because, I mean, that was because it was summertime. I, that, this song, That's Why, this is like their first hit. Like their first single. Sure. Because this is the song that, like, if anyone even knew who the party was, this is, like, their well-known song. This is what would have been playing on Disney Channel in between shows all the time. Oh, yeah, like, nonstop. So we'll go on to rankings and ratings. On your one to five star scale, where would you put the beautiful troublemaker? Um, I'm gonna give this... Uh, another five uh, a five this will be my third, third five. five okay yeah I'm 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 close to there with you I'm actually on my zero to four star scale I'm saying three and a half and it's not because of the length it's honestly because there's maybe like a little bit too much side story that didn't resolve properly for me like the sister stuff doesn't yeah that could have been cut out some of the stuff with Porbus was kind of extemporaneous and so it's, it's just that like the fact it was four hours wasn't a problem is the fact that you know it could have been even tighter or you know focus a little bit more on the art i would have liked to see more of the the ending part of the creation instead of some of the side stories 
Yeah, and I mean, I'm glad that they kept it a mystery that we will never see this masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, it's meant to be personal, and we're Mm -hmm. not, we're, we're an observer, we're not, we're not the creator, we're Mm -hmm. not the... The artist. Yes. Yeah, we're not either of the two creators, because I think they both could be considered creators in this. Mm -hmm. Um, Every movie's worth watching once, would you watch it again? If they had this, like, in some sort of... I would see this in the movie theater if there was some... I don't even know. If it was brought back for some anniversary type of thing? I don't know. I would see it in the theater. Like, I'm curious if it would be for the full four hours. Yeah. With, like, the full, you know, sound effects of, like, the etching and everything. Yeah. Yeah. But... We would need that little um, break in the in between, like yeah. the intermission. The, yeah, the digital version does not give you a full five minutes in between the two parts, but it says that there's like a yeah, five it'll minute intermission. say intermission five minutes. So that was uh, that when we saw that, I thought it was like five minutes for them, for the artist. <laughs> I thought sure. it was five minutes for Marianne to just chill out. And I was like, oh, she gets five minutes. <laughs> but I was like, no, that was for the viewer. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think it'd be interesting to see how it looks on a bigger screen as well with an audience. Um, I'd also honestly be interested in the shorter version, the Divertimento. Yeah, just to just see. Just to see how, how much different it is and yeah, what, what is different about Marianne's perspective or added. Yeah. in that. Uh, and if you out there want to watch La Belle Noiseuse as of this recording in March 2022, it's available on Canopy, Tubi, Digital Rental, VHS, or DVD. So always check your local listings. Uh, You can find us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991movierewind at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd. Just search 1991movierewind or go to 1991movierewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week, we're going to do something of an Oscar tie-in. We got... Being the Ricardos is nominated, so we're going to watch Lucy and Desi Before the Laughter, which is a 1991 uh, TV movie. That's available on VHS, maybe DVD, um, and also other corners of the internet. We will see you then.